Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Welcome back to another Great Deception podcast. I'm Don Britton, and I'm going to ask this question today. How much should a pastor be paid? How much should a preacher, prophet, evangelist, how much should somebody be paid that's in ministry? In the early 90s, I once had a discussion with one of my vendors at my business. He told me that his pastor was paid six figures per year at his church. Plus, he got various other financial benefits, including an expense account, clothing expenses, insurance, retirement. Also, he got an occasional love offering for vacations and so forth. I said to my friend, this vendor of mine, I said, well, he must really preach a lot for that kind of money and benefits. And he said, oh, yeah, he preaches. Oh, yeah, he preaches about 30 minutes on Sunday morning and uh, about 30 minutes on Sunday night and about 30 minutes on Wednesday night. Boy, he was really, you know, proud of his pastor and what they paid him. I said, wow. So he only preaches an hour and a half each week for all that money and all those benefits he's getting? He said, well, he does more than that. I said, like, uh, like what? He said, well... He prays and he studies his Bible. I said, so you pay him for that? Shouldn't everybody do that? Well, then he said, well, he does more than that. I said, well, like what? He said, well, he visits the sick in the hospital. So I responded to him this way. I said, now let me get this straight. You, that is your church, pay your pastor $100,000 plus benefits per year to only preach an hour and a half each week, to study his Bible for you, to do your praying for you, and to visit your sick friends in the hospital instead of you going to see them yourself? Well, I told him, I said, I preach a lot more than that for free. I study my own Bible, and I do my own praying, and when one of my friends gets sick, I visit them myself. And, I, and doing all of that while I work 50 to 60 hours per week in my business and take care of my home and my family, I told him that he could not hire someone to take away his responsibility to know God, to know God's word, and to pray to God, and to visit the sick for him, for himself. He couldn't hire somebody to do, to do that for him. Well, he became very offended. Have you ever thought about this, though? Have you ever thought about this type of thing, what we're paying pastors to do, supposedly for us? Does it make any sense to you? Have you ever studied the Bible to see what it says for yourself? The truth is that the typical pastor spends most all of his time each week running the church, quote, business that has nothing to do or at least little to do with shepherding and discipling the members of that church. These pastors are usually busy all with all kinds of things. They're directing the staff on church matters and they're planning programs and they're working on upcoming events and they're trying to they're they're keeping up with the financial well-being of the church they're working on fundraising uh, campaigns or they're planning for a new building project or they're having meetings with other ministers or 
They're going to special luncheons or making appearances at certain events and making sure everything is done to make sure the meetings, the church meetings, are as enjoyable as possible for the members who attend. So they're always working on this kind of stuff. I know sometimes they'll counsel with someone who needs them, but uh, that's not where they spend most of their time. And besides that, everybody in the church that's really got any experience, that's been leading, that's, that's had life experiences, should be counseling their neighbors and, and their friends and their brothers as they go along. It should be a group, group effort, not just for one man to do anyway. So this is what they're really being paid for, to be a quote-unquote general manager of the church business. And I call it a business because that's really what it is these days. They're not being paid for working in the lives of their members. They're not being paid to sit down and to disciple people one-on-one or face-to-face or work in their lives or help them overcome or help them get free from sin or confront those who are in sin or to help change the lives of their members or to look after and care for their members. And most pastors don't even know what's going on with their members. Most pastors don't even know that some of their members, even their names. It is such a, it is such a joke to call this pastor thing a shepherd of the sheep because he don't even know what's going on with the sheep for, mo- for the most part. In fact, one pastor told me that in his church that he had members that come in the door every day sinning on Sunday and he has members going back out the door on Sunday sinning. And he didn't even know who was getting divorced from who and who was marrying who and who who was dating whose ex-wife or ex-husband and who was, uh, you know, he didn't even know what was going on. He just knew a lot was going on that he didn't know anything about. So how can he be discipling these people, helping these people, working in these people's lives when he don't even know what's going on? You see, this managing of the church business, this is the pastor's vocation. It's his job for pay to run the business of the church. But he's not working with the people for the most part. There's no case in the Bible of a righteous man of God ever making a, quote, vocation. That is a job for pay out of preaching the word of God. And this will be proven by the word of God. If you'll just bear with me here, just bear with me. I want you to notice what Jesus told his disciples concerning getting paid when he sent them out to preach in Matthew 10, Verses 7 through 10, he said, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts, or even a bag for your journey, or even two tunics or sandals or a staff, or the worker is worthy of his support. Now, let me let me go on and explain this. The first thing Jesus said to them was, freely you received, freely give. That clearly means that the gospel did not cost them anything and they could not charge anything for it. So if it was given to them for free and they were to give it out for free, who changed that? Notice also a strange statement that seems to almost contradict it when Jesus went on to say that the worker was worthy of his support. Now, when you say, when we use the word support here in 2020, what comes to our mind is what we call support. We call support a paycheck on Friday with benefits, you know, insurance and and other benefits that your retirement. This is our support. This seems strange that Jesus would use the word support. Well, after he said, freely you received and freely give. 
until we study a little bit further. The Greek word used here for support is the word trophy, T-R-O-P-H-E, if I said it right, which means physical nourishment for the body as in getting to eat food. The apostles were allowed to eat food when they were sent away from home on a trip to preach the gospel. He sent them away. So food and shelter and so forth was what they were allowed to use. It was, it was not money. It was their support. They were allowed to be nourished in their bodies, but they weren't allowed to collect silver and gold. Jesus also told his disciples this when he sent them out to preach in Luke chapter 10, verses 3 through 8. He said, Go your ways. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse. Right there he says, carry no purse. Well, if you're going to, if you're not going to be collecting any money, you certainly don't need to carry a purse. Also, the other side of that is, if you're going to be fed and have a place to stay when you go out, you don't need any money to pay for it. So it's, it's, it, it works both ways. He said, carry no purse, no bag, no shoes, greet no one on the way, and whatever house you enter first say, peace be on this house, and if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you, and stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house, and whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Did you pick up on what the wages were? The wages were staying in the house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Again, the wages for preaching when you travel away from home are only food and shelter and any reasonable personal necessities you might have while on the trip. The wages spoken of here in Luke 10 are not what we would normally associate with wages today, and they certainly are not about money. Give you an example. 2 Kings 5, Elisha, the prophet of God, after he gave instructions to Naaman, the Syrian, to be healed of his leprosy by washing in the Jordan, and how that Naaman did do what he was told eventually, and he did get cleansed of the leprosy, what happened is he refused to receive any money. He was offered money, a lot of it, but he refused it. But here's what happened. Elisha's servant, Gehazi, secretly took two talents of silver and two changes of clothes from Naaman without Elisha's knowledge. When Elisha discovered what Gehazi had done, he said this in Second Kings 5, verses 26 and 27, he, that then, he, then he, Elisha, said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? That is, for doing the work of God. He's talking about for doing the work of God. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cleave to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, that is, Gehazi did, as a leopard as white as snow. So here's what happened to Gehazi. For, accept, for accepting money, for doing the work of God. He was cursed for accepting this money and other benefits for, for the work God had done through Elisha. So wasn't the gift of God freely received? And shouldn't it be freely given? Has it ever changed? It's always been the same. Elisha made it clear that it was not acceptable to receive material gifts or financial compensation of any kind 
for doing what God had called him to do. Could it be that Gehazi's descendants are the ones who do not who do who do exactly what Gehazi did by receiving pay for serving in the ministry today? Are not his descendants with us today? That is, those who do the same thing, are they not here today? And are they also spiritually unclean, just like Gehazi was, but they're spiritually unclean? He was he Gehazi became physically unclean with leprosy. Isn't there a spiritual type of leprosy that comes upon these who prey upon people to take their money for giving them the things of God that are supposed to be freely received and freely given? Just a question. Think about it. So how many pastors and preachers and televangelists or priests may be, how many are there that may be under this curse today for taking money for doing what they say God called them to do? Yet they don't even know that they're cursed. They even think they're blessed. They talk about prosperity. They th- they talk about how, how wonderful it is to serve God. And, you know, they're putting the money in their pockets. They don't even know that they're cursed. Another example, in Numbers chapter 16, Moses, a servant of God, had to deal with the rebellion of Korah. Korah and several other men rose up against Moses and his leadership and rebelled against him. And when Moses cried out to God, he said this, Then Moses became very angry. This is number 16, verse 15. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them. So there's another example of a righteous man who hasn't taken anything from anybody for doing what God called him to do. Another example, the faithful prophet of God, Samuel. He had this to say about being paid or receiving compensation as a prophet. Here he is now in 1 Samuel 12, verses 2 through 5, saying this, And now, here's the king walking before you, but I am old and gray. He's talking about the king being King Saul. But he says, But I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said he is witnessed. So let me ask you something. How many men today can say there is nothing in their hand? How many men today who are ministers, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, who can say I have taken nothing from anyone to do what God has called me to do? So there's Samuel. He spent his whole life as a preacher of the word of God in Israel, and he never took anything from any man, not even a single gift, not an offering, not any kind of benefit of any kind. Samuel indicated clearly that if he had taken anything, then he would have received a bribe and it would have blinded his eyes. So I wonder how many men down through the ages have had their eyes blinded by taking money and gifts from the members for preaching. There is no doubt that this compromise 
is the standard for the American Christian church today, it's common. It's everywhere. So let me explain to you how it works about this bribe thing, this taking. Here's how it works. The preacher, the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, whatever, he receives monies and money and gifts from the ones he is supposed to be instructing in right living. He is supposed to be correcting those who do wrong. He is supposed to be rebuking those who continue to do wrong. And he is supposed to be removing those from the church who won't repent. But having taken the money and the gifts from the people, from the very people, he is supposed to be holding to an account for their sins, bringing them to righteousness, not compromising with wrongdoing. He will turn a blind eye to their sins and will refrain from confronting them for their sins. So in order to keep his customers, that is church members or donors to his ministry, if you want to call it that. So in order to keep his customers, the ones who are supplying money to him, happy and keep them coming back and the money flowing, he will have to go easy on them. And he will eliminate correcting and rebuking sinful behavior altogether. He's not going to do that. He's going to, he, he's, he's going to give them messages like this. His messages will mostly be ear tickling in nature. And he will say things like, Oh, we're just all sinners saved by grace or we're just not going, we're just going to love everybody here. We're not going to, we, you know, we're not going to condemn anyone. We're not going to. We're not going to make anybody feel guilty. We're just going to quote unquote love them and have mercy on them. Or he may, or they may say, well, it's not the personality of this church or this ministry to correct people. We'll let the Holy Spirit do that. Or he will do this. He will say these things and do this in order to excuse the sins of the people. He will then teach the popular false doctrines of the day, which allow people to feel comfortable in their sins causing them to believe that they're going to, going to go to heaven while they live a carnal lifestyle. And since, this, and since his eyes, this pastor, this preacher, this prophet, since his eyes are blinded by the bribe, the money, the bribe of receiving money, the bribe of receiving gifts and benefits from the very members, from the very people he is supposed to be guiding away from living in sin and towards righteousness, he now accepts the sins of the people as a normal part of Christianity, actually condoning sin as something normal for a Christian. And since he himself is blind to the dangers of sin, he will lead the people to the pit of hell along with himself. And Jesus in Luke 6.39 said this, And he, Jesus, also spoke a parable to them, A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into the pit? Will they both not fall into a pit? Of course, that's what I'm talking about. The bribe blinds the eyes, the eyes of the minister. And if the eyes of the minister are blind, he's going to teach things that cause the people to be blind. He's going to allow them to remain in their sins. And they're all going to be blind. And they're all going to go to the pit. I want you to notice too concerning paid pastors, paid preachers, paid apostles. I want you to notice what Paul the Apostle had to say about this. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 10, listen to this carefully. Paul said, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof, that means away from, every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition 
which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept it, we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have a right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, that you might follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Anyone includes preachers. Anyone includes pastors, prophets, evangelists. Anyone that doesn't work for his own food shouldn't even be allowed to eat, Paul said. Who preaches that sermon? Now, Paul was a preacher, and he was also a tent maker. Paul did not consider preaching to be his vocation. Making tents was Paul's vocation. Preaching was his service to God. No one in the Bible had a vocation of preaching. Paul's vocation, again, was making tents. He had freely received the gospel from the Lord, and for free, Paul preached it. Even though Paul had a right to, quote, unquote, eat food, not take money, as a minister of the gospel, but he didn't exercise that right. That right was never about taking money, though, or being paid as a preacher, but was only about whether or not he could eat someone else's bread without paying for it. In fact, Paul did not eat anybody's bread or anybody's food without paying for it, and he admonished all ministers to follow his example in this. So tell me something. Who do you see doing that today? Now, getting back to some words of Jesus again. Jesus also had this to say concerning pastors, shepherds of God. In John chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 and verses 8 through 12, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, and I I just put in parentheses, the other way is by being paid. By being paid, that's the other way, because going through Jesus, you don't become a paid minister. Going through Jesus, you come in voluntarily. Going through Jesus, you lay down your life for the sheep. But when you come in some other way as a paid pastor, you're not going through the door of Jesus. He said, if some, if he says, whoever does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door of the, sh- is a shepherd. That is a true pastor of the sheep. All pastors, and he says, all who came before me. He's not talking about anything here, but shepherds. That's the sup, that's the topic here. All pastors, all shepherds who came before me, he says, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. That is the true sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. Well, how did you come through Jesus? Freely you received, freely you give. You don't charge for this gospel. That's the way through Jesus. That's the way he set up. So if anyone enters through me that is not being paid for this, he shall be saved and he shall go out in and out and find pasture. But Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have have life and might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling, and the Greek word here means paid for his services, which is a paid pastor. He's talking about shepherds still. 
he who is a hireling, the shepherd who is a hireling, that is a paid pastor and not a shepherd. He's not a shepherd of God who is not the owner of the sheep. Beholds the wolf. The wolf is the one who's in sheep's clothing. That's the other false teachers and the false pastors and the false prophets. They're all around us. This pastor allows the wolves in. He allows the wolves to come and meet and, and minister in his church. He follows their doctrines and their principles, the wolves. He beholds the wolves and he, coming and he leaves the sheep to the wolves. He leaves them to the wolves. He leaves them and he flees. He flees from what is right. He flees from the simple way that God set things up. He flees from the, from the gospel that calls us to repent and turn from our sins and take up our cross. He flees from what is right. He sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep to the wolf. He flees from what is right and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. In other words, the false teachings, the false doctrines of the, of the false paid ministers all over, they snatch the sheep and they scatter them. He, the false pastor, the hireling, he flees because he's a hireling. He's a paid pastor. He's not concerned, and he's not concerned about the sheep, Jesus said. So here Jesus said that the shepherd, the pastor, who is financially compensated for his duties as a pastor is a hireling, and that a hireling, a paid pastor, is not the shepherd of God's sheep. Why don't you think about this? If you're hired, you can be fired. How many churches fire a pastor from time to time? How many ministries fire other members of the ministry that are on staff? They don't like something they did or whatever. They fire them. You see, when you're working for money, you can be fired. You can be put out, you can be put out to pasture, so to speak. But can you imagine somebody trying to fire Jesus or somebody coming up to Paul and the apostle say, you're fired. Or somebody, uh, you know, somebody going to Samuel, the prophet says, well, you're fired. You're no longer on staff here at the temple. This is ridiculous. You cannot fire a man of God. A man of God will continue to preach God's word. He doesn't care what's coming against him. He will stand up for the truth. If he's the last man standing, he will never quit. But the hired pastor can be fired. This hireling is far more concerned with his income and his reputation than he is about the souls of the sheep. Hirelings allow the false teachings of the wolves in sheep's clothing to snatch the sheep. Can you accept what Jesus said? He didn't give any exceptions to this, did he? So can you? Now listen to me. The thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy in this passage is not Satan. How many times have you heard, the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy? The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. They, they're quoting Jesus, and this is the only place where these three words are put together in the Bible that I can find, is in John 10, where Jesus is saying, the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. The thief Jesus is talking about is not the devil. The thief Jesus is talking about is the hired pastor, the paid minister, the prophet that collects money, the minister that takes your money. These are the thieves that came to steal, kill, and destroy, not the devil, as most pastors have taught us. But the thief is the paid pastor, the hireling himself. The topic in this chapter is all about shepherds. It's not about Satan, as most pastors and prophets teach us. A pastor who comes into the fold of the sheep by some other way, that is by being paid, other than through the door Jesus, by take, and he comes in by taking money for preaching, he is the thief and the robber. This paid pastor is not like Paul, Elisha, Samuel, Moses, John, Peter, or any of the other righteous men of God. This pastor loves sordid gain, 
And let me just tell you, the sordid gain is money that he did not work to earn. They love this sordid gain. These pastors rob members of their money to pay themselves, and in the process, they steal the members' souls because they tickle ears and make promises of wealth and prosperity and healing and heaven and all kinds of things, and they promise people things that they're not going to be able to deliver because people want to hear this stuff, and as a result, they compromise the word of God in order to keep the money. These shepherds leave out the judgments and the warnings of God and they preach easy believism, they preach false grace, and they, they preach promises of healing and health and prosperity and they give people a false hope of salvation. These paid pastors teach some form of peace and safety to people who still live in sin. Every time someone dies, the hireling pastor always preaches them to heaven. Also, these hirelings don't teach about the narrow way and how few will enter life. They leave the impression that just about everybody goes to heaven, even though most people live like the rest of the world. Most people in the church, and you, if you've heard any of my previous podcasts, I have, I have revealed how the numbers, the high numbers of, of those who live in sin are in the church. Very few people, very small numbers really know God. So in 1 Peter 5, Peter says this, Therefore I ex exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Yet not, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's called eternal life. Now, here Peter is plainly saying for the shepherd or the pastor to serve voluntarily. Voluntarily. In other words, freely you receive, freely you give, according to the will of God, which is to serve without pay and not for sordid gain, and sordid gain is again taking money that others have worked for. If he shepherds in this way, that is without pay, and does so voluntarily, only then will he, the shepherd, receive the unfading crown of glory when Jesus comes, which is eternal life. So where does that leave the hireling when Jesus comes? Where does that leave him today? The hirelings of today, where's that going to leave them if Jesus comes and he finds that they're doing this for money? So let me, let me expound on the definition some of unjust and sordid gain. It means to gain or to profit from the assets or the work others have done. To take money you did not earn. To gain from stealing, extortion, or deception. It is also called filthy lucre, dirty money, and dishonest gain. This is the money, for an example, that the poor factory worker who worked hard all week sweating at his job, earned. This is the money that the auto mechanic earned working hard turning wrenches all week, or the professional person working under stress in his situation at his profession, or the hairdresser struggling to make a living to get enough appointments for that week to, uh, to, so she can get by, or the server in the restaurant picking up extra tables for the tips he hopes to get or she hopes to get, or the poor widow on Social Security who just can barely make it. This is the money the pastor did not work for, but that others did earn. 
He did not sweat it out for this money or struggle for it. He did not earn this money. There's no such thing as a job in the Bible of church management for pay or preaching for money. This money he takes from the people who actually earned it, who actually worked for it, is unjust gain. It is dishonest gain. It is sordid gain. He is the thief and the robber. And the reason why it's dishonest gain because he's preaching the lie of the tithe as a way to extort money from people when the tithe has nothing to do with the church. Listen to last week's podcast and you can hear what I'm saying about that. So it's dishonest gain when he preaches the tithe and he takes money from people telling them if they don't pay their tithes, they could be cursed. And so he's using that over their head as a threat to get money to put in his pocket. He is the thief and the robbers. When preachers teach and preach the tithe and that pastors should be paid, they are preaching a lie and they personally gain from the deception of it. As a result, they manipulate the hearer into giving at least 10% by putting him under the pressure that he has to give according to the letter of the law or he could be cursed. Even if that member is struggling financially, he is pressured, he's under pressure under compulsion to give the required 10% tithe anyway because of the false teaching. Some churches now even have credit card terminals in the sanctuary. They're always pushing for more money, 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 and more money. This is nothing more than extortion by the pastors and is very, very evil. Many poor widows and poor people have been devastated by this teaching. Television preachers promise wealth and healing if only you would send them your money. There are stories out there of people who've sent everything they had to a television preacher and never got healed and never did get anything for it and just made the televangelist rich. It's so evil. And when any pastor brings in a special speaker, he brings a, say a pastor brings in a prophet or an evangelist or some special teacher to the church who's supposedly got a good reputation or something, he again pressures the members of that church to give big so his preacher buddy will take out of there, will leave out of there with a big pocket full of money of the, and the money is the money that came from the members' hard-earned work. So, let me share a little more on this. Paul said in, in Titus 1 verse 7, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, and not fond of sordid gain. Do you get it yet? Do you see what I'm saying? So here's, here's the common scenario today. A young man feels called to preach, to become a pastor. He really wants to help people and serve God. He's sincere. But he's told by somebody he has to go to Bible, Bible college or seminary, so he does. And there he is programmed with the clergy mindset and taught how he is to be above the people and how he should be taken care of by the people. He is also taught various traditions of men and numerous false doctrines such as tithing. And he's taught other things about salvation which are not true. And when he graduates, he is then hired, let's say by a small church, and begins his, his sincere career as a paid pastor at first, he is wholehearted and all about helping people find God and help them with overcome their sins. And he wants to build up the church and he wants everybody to do right and so forth. So in the beginning, he has to do most everything himself. He has to preach and he has to teach classes. 
oversee Sunday schools. It's a small church and devise programs and take care of the budget. And as the church grows, though, he takes in more and more money. So then there's a need for a bigger, for a building. You know, at some point, they've got to have a building program. So, and, and he needs to add some staff members. So they're taking in, there's more numbers now. There's more money and there's more money to do more things. And the more the numbers he gains, the more money comes in and it's easier and easier it gets for him. He can now delegate more and more of the work to other people, people that are paid staff or members that are volunteers, and he can take a bigger, bigger salary for himself as the church grows. He can take more money and put in his own pocket. And as soon, and soon he is tempted now more than he never was so much in the beginning, but now he's tempted more and more to compromise with the members in sin and to make messages more and more appealing to the congregation in order to keep the numbers from going down. And now he has a, a need for the money because he has a much larger budget. So he now understands that numbers translate into dollars, and therefore he now preaches a more ear-tickling message than he did in the beginning. Now he doesn't want to offend anyone and lose any numbers. As time goes on, the desire for more numbers and the love of money corrupts the pastor and then he becomes a hireling at heart. The larger numbers and the taking in more money is how he measures his success. By this point in time, there is not any church discipline to speak of anymore, and he has now become a man-pleaser rather than a God-pleaser. Even though he was not this way in the beginning, he was set up by Satan to fall into this trap, of the one where the money blinds the eyes, and he will end up in hell unless he repents, and he'll take almost all of his members with him. You see, he was corrupted by the love of money and the love of numbers. He became blinded by taking the bribe. The numbers, the dollars, the success, quote-unquote, as it, it's called, and the honor of men replaced his original love for God and for the people. And he fell into the trap of the harlot church system that has devoured countless ministers and members over the centuries and folks, it is worse today than it ever has been. This is extremely sad and serious. So how much should a preacher be paid? Well, you decide after hearing this message from the Word of God. Next, next week, I will continue on with the great deception of American Christianity without Christ. I hope you listen then. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.